22. You have your Bibles with you? Let's open it now to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter, we now come to Matthew chapter 2. May I request congregation to please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. Beginning at verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. May God bless the reading from His Holy Word. Please be seated. So once again, Merry Christmas. In case you miss our greetings, Merry Christmas to one and all. It's a wonderful feeling that, you know, as, as a congregation, we can celebrate together the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The most important, you know, date every year. The day when God entered human history by being one of us. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, brethren, we will finish our Christmas series entitled The Miracles of Christmas. So today will be the last part. This is part four of our series and the title of our message today, The Miracle of the Manger. So we have already learned the lesson from the miracle of the moment. God entered human time by giving us His plan that Jesus Christ was born through the loins of, you know, Adam, through the line of Judah and David, until to Mary and Joseph. And then we learn about the miracle of 
the method that Christ coming to earth is not just humankind. It's a supernatural. Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Christ was born through a virgin birth. Miracle of the method. And then we learned last Sunday the, mer the miracle of the message. The message of the angel that God is still speaking to each one of us today through His Word, through Jesus Christ the Son, and through all of us who have been saved. We are God's messengers. Now today our focus is on the manger. Just who is or who was the child born in a manger 2,000 years ago? Of course, our Christmas will never be complete without the nativity scene, right? The Belen. With all, you know, the shepherds, the animals, and then there's the wise men, there's the star, there's Mary and Joseph, but the focus of Christmas will always be at the center. Okay? The nativity scene, the Christmas, will never be complete without the manger and the baby. It was Luke, the evangelist, who tells us that Christ was born in a manger three times in his gospel. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And then the, the shepherds, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. See? Now, although our text today is in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and Matthew does not mention about the manger. Matthew talks about the house. But of course, our nativity scene today where you find Jesus, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men. This is the traditional view. So I am taking our lesson today from the traditional view, what the church fathers pass on to us. Because the birth of Christ, you know, you have the traditional view and you have the modern view. They say that in, in Matthew's gospel, this has been a few days or months, they say, or a few weeks after the birth of Christ. Right? So they were no longer in the manger. That's what Matthew tells us. But nonetheless, it is important that the things happening in Matthew chapter 2 is still in Bethlehem. Alright? They haven't reached Nazareth yet. They did not yet, you know, go back to Nazareth where they belong. Because when the Magi asked, where this Christ came to be born, they say, you go to Bethlehem. That's what the prophet said. So, what child is this lying in a manger that it has caused a commotion throughout all the world, even up to this very day? What's this child that was born on Christmas that the rest of the world celebrates, that the rest of the world will have the Christmas rush? The Christmas traffic, it's causing havoc in the world. What's the miracle in the manger? So what I want us to learn this morning, brethren, this Christmas day, is that what are some important lessons we find in the manger? What the manger teaches us? Of course, first of all, you know what is a manger. 
A manger is a place or it is a thing, a wooden thing where animals would feed on. It's a wooden trough where they eat. So it's not, it's not a good place, not a sanitized place to bear a child. And yet, listen, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world was born there. What lesson can we learn from the manger? All right, if you have your sermon notes, here's point number one. This manger, although this is just a simple wooden trough, this is just a humble place, and yet this manger drew the wise men. That's what Matthew tells us in his second chapter. And I want us to learn this important truth in this first lesson. Truth number one is that the child in the manger is indeed the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and is to be honored not just by Jews, but by all the nations of the world represented by the Magi, the wise men. So that's the first truth. This child born in the manger, in this particular place in Bethlehem, because there was no room for them in the inn, this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that this child, by the way of the Magi, leaving their comfort, leaving their nations, just to be there to honor him, teaches us that this king born in Bethlehem is not just the king of the Jews, he is the king of the world. And that one day, one day according to Revelations, the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This manger drew wise men. Now, look, notice verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi from the east. Who, who were these Magi? Now, the word Magi comes from the Greek word magus. Alright? And this word has several meanings during the time. It can mean magicians. It can mean philosophers, astrologers. These are learned men. They study the sky. They study philosophy. They, they study science. So the people that were drawn to the manger were not ordinary people. They were renowned people. They were great men at that time considered philosophers, seers, interpreters of dream, soothsayers. Some historians would even say they were kingmakers. Right? During the time, the Magi came from the Medo-Persian Empire. If you remember Daniel, Daniel, being a wise man, was chosen Daniel became part of the Magi in Babylon. And you know, Babylon was, was conquered by the Medo-Persians. And so, some theologians would even say that 
these magi, they were influenced by the teachings of Daniel, who was a believer of the God of the Jews. Somehow the, the teachings of Daniel were passed on to them so that these brilliant scholars, philosophers, were simply looking at the times, they were looking at the skies, they were looking at constellations, they were looking at how the world is revolving and that there is this time in which a king greater than all the kings of the world is to be born. That's what we can learn about the Magis or the Magus according to history that they were great men and they had one pursuit. Imagine this brethren, they left their comfort, they left their powers for a very important pursuit. And what is that? What is that? And ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? See? They were looking for a king. Now, according to some historians, these mag magi, they were king makers. See? During the time when when a nation wants to groom their next king, they would send them to Persia so that these scholars, magis, could train them because they were known to be king makers. And so in this particular time and season, they were on a pursuit because somehow in their study, there is this king. He is not just an ordinary child. The Bible says he is born king. In other words, it runs through the veins of this child that this child is destined to be king. And he is no ordinary king to attract magis from the east. See? That's the miracle of the manger. It's a very simple and humble and unusual place to give birth to a child and yet the child born there was sought by king makers and what's the goal what's the purpose for their coming there the bible says they were drawn by this star we saw his star right we saw his star. So, in other words, there was something supernatural about the birth of Christ. That there is this star. The way Matthew records this is that this star is not an ordinary star. It's, it's like this star simply came at that exact moment. And so some, some scholars would say, this is no ordinary star. This could be a planetary alignment of Jupiter and Mars. Some, you know, some astrologers would say, or astronomers would say, that this could be a comet. Whatever it is, it's no problem for God to do, right? I mean, it was a prophecy. If you go back to the Old Testament in Numbers, even coming from from an unbelieving prophet, a false prophet, Bileam. Remember? He was, he was bribed to, 
to make curses, to hurl curses against the nation of Israel. But you know what? God caused him to instead make a prophecy. And this is what Balaam said. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Can you imagine this? This prophecy was given more than 2,000 years before the birth of Christ from an unbelieving prophet. You see, God can use and orchestrate everything. And now, all these prophecies about the coming of Christ is now coming into motion. Christ was born in a manger, and because Jesus is the star, and by the way, Jesus Christ indeed is the star. He's the superstar, not Nora Honor. He's the megastar, not Sharon Coneta. Jesus is still the star for all season. Daghang Bilmanian, Teresa Bradford. He is the star. He's the star that Bileam saw. I see him, but not now. And now this star is born. And wise men, philosophers, kingmakers are now in the hunt of finding this star. And what, what's their goal? Why are they there? Notice Matthew tells us their purpose. We have come to worship Him. Friends, this is extraordinary. You see, in history, these magi, they were powerful. They were political powers. They don't just bow down to anyone, especially if they don't know this king. You see? These were powerful political people. And yet, here, Matthew tells us that their pursuit for this child in the manger is to worship him. Can you imagine that, friends? Can you imagine that? People today, there's so many people today who deny Jesus. So many Christians today believe in Jesus, and yet in the way they live, they don't honor Him. Well, for us, to those of us who dishonor Christ by our life, look at the lives of these magi. They were not even believers. They were pagans. And yet, they come to worship the child who will save them from their sins. See? That's the miracle of the manger. The king makers of the world at that time are attracted to Bethlehem. They're going to Bethlehem. They're following the star because they believe this is not just a king. Later on, we will realize that somehow they have an idea who this child is through their gifts. So they have come to worship him. So again, the first truth about this baby in the manger is that indeed he is the Messiah, not just for the Jews. He is the king for all the nations. Why? Because king makers of nations are there to honor him. My question for you, brethren, if these brilliant scholars, wise men, wise men, we call them wise men, that's another translation of the word magus. If wise men, 
You know why they're wise? Because they know who to honor. Are we wise today? Are we wise enough to truly honor Jesus Christ, the dignity and the honor that He truly deserves? Because the problem today, brethren, is this. A lot of people today are not wise but foolish. Foolish in the sense that, yes, we celebrate Christmas, but we don't honor the reason why there is Christmas. We don't give Him the, the glory. We don't ascribe Him the honor and the reverence that He deserves. Yes, we say, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. But so many people, they don't behave what they believe. They believe Christ here, but they don't behave the way they should. If we are truly wise, we should be like the wise men, always honoring Christ as king over our lives. Friends, Matthew, as he opens his gospel, starts with Jesus in the lineage of the king, that indeed Jesus Christ is the son of David. And then in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew tells us that king makers all over the world are here to honor him. And you know what? Jesus Christ, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus Christ gives us these words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all what? Of all nations. Why? Because He is not just the Messiah of one nation. He wants to be known to all nations. See? His birth proves it. And His last words before He went back to heaven proves it as well. That Jesus... Is not just the Messiah for the Jews. He is the Messiah for all nations. And brethren, I don't know with you, but I am so happy that more and more we see worshipers here in Bradford Church coming from different nations. We have, you know, Pakistans here, Indians. We have Africans. Because that's the church. Amen? That's the church. We are multi-race. Jesus Christ is not just the, the, the Messiah, the Savior of one particular race. He came for all the races. That's why when Christ was born, the races of the world were represented by these Magi. And by the way, there are so many myths surrounding the Magi. We say there were three. <laughs> The Bible doesn't say there were three. And they were not kings. We say three kings. But they were more than kings. They were king makers. They groomed people to become king. They were king seekers and searchers. They go and hunt for people to become the next king. And the purpose of that brethren, is that we Christians will understand that this baby in the manger that was born 2,000 years ago wants us to bring his message of salvation to all the nations of the world. 
That should be the message of Christmas. That Christmas should be for everyone. He's the star, not just for all season, but He is the star for all nations. Amen? Isaiah 60 verse 3 already foresees this. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Friends, that's the prophecy. Isaiah, some 800 years before the birth of Christ, he already for, you know, foresaw it that this child in the manger is the king of kings and the government shall be upon his shoulders. See? Kings to, you know, will come to him. And that prophecy is going to be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. But what is that to you and to me today, brethren? Well, listen. Nations will never worship the one whom they did not know. That's why our job, listen, as the church, our job is to tell the nations that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? Can you please tell the person next to you, let's tell the nations about Christ. All right? Now, one of these days, brethren, one of these days, some of you will be leaving the Philippines for good. Some of you will be going to other nations. And you know very well my heart, I don't like that. Until now, I don't like that. But if it is God's plan for you to go to other nations, remember this, bring the message of Christ with you. Amen? Be a missionary of your own field. Second, so the manger drew wise men. But the next portion of Matthew chapter 2 is quite the opposite. <laughs> While these wise men were drawn to this baby in the manger, there are some people who are disturbed by this manger. The manger disturbs some people. All right, here's the truth number two we find here. The child in the manger is disturbing and troubling to people who do not acknowledge him as king in their lives. The child in the manger is disturbing. Yes, it's true. Just how many people nowadays, they don't want to say Merry Christmas. They just want to say Happy Holidays. There are so many people in the world who wants to eliminate Christ from Christmas because they say the story about Christmas is just for kids. I want a baby in a manger, God becoming man. Ridiculous, nonsense. See? They say it's so impractical. That's why they, they simply say, you know, happy holidays. They don't want to say Merry Christmas because they don't want to mention Christ. Do you have friends like that? And they're growing in the Philippines as well. Young people, young adults, growing number of atheism in the Philippines. They're disturbed with our worship, see? They hate it when we sing praises, when, when we sing hymns about Christmas. They hate it because they don't believe in Jesus. Well, it's not something new. 
Because right there, during the birth of Christ, there were people who were disturbed. People who were not happy for His birth. Now, in the next passages, we find three groups of people disturbed by the birth of Christ. Three groups of people. All right, please help me out to identify them. The first one, the indignant. The indignant. Look at verse 3. The indignant, okay, this kind is represented by King Herod. When King Herod heard this, notice this, he was disturbed. All right? The Greek there literally means he was anxious, he was worried, he was restless. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, what do we know about King Herod? Well, he was truly a mad king, a madman. He was no true king, he was just a puppet king. And yet, even as a puppet, he was, he was really gloating over his kingdom. You know? he, was, he was so insecure. In fact, history tells us he has already murdered some of his brothers. Anyone or anything that will be a threat to his kingdom, he had them killed. He had them killed. Okay? He, was, he was a mad king. And he was indignant. See? He wasn't happy when Jesus Christ was born. Friends, some people today are indignant to Christ. He was so indignant that we know the story. He even did a genocide. Killing babies two years below. In the whole Judean kingdom. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Of course, he's just bluffing. He wasn't meant, he was not planning to worship him. No, he was planning to kill him. See? When he heard that these magi were looking for a child born king. It was a threat to himself because he was so insecure and he was already planning to kill this child. That's why he said to the magi, you know, if you find him good, please tell me. I'll also give him homage to this king. No, he's going to do a homicide. Not who makes. So there's the indignant. But then there are those, the infidel. The infidel, the, the unbelieving. See? Remember, there was a census during that time. People were going back to their hometown, to their birthplace. So they're enjoying the reunion. Just like what we do right now. You know, there's a reunion where we're coming home. Just like what you, some of you are. You're coming home. You're here. That was happening. So people were having a good time, partying. And, and of course, when, when the wise men came, and, and historians would tell us that they were not just three, but there were a caravan of people, of wise men. Of course, it will catch the attention of everyone in Jerusalem. 
But you know what? Some people simply chose to ignore. See? Just like some people today. Some people today, yes, they celebrate Christmas, celebrate Christmas parties, they greet each other, but they're oblivious to Christ. See? They're just infidel. Look at this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Notice the second phrase. And all Jerusalem with him. And all the people in the capital, they were like Herod. While they were not plotting to kill the child, they were disturbed because they don't want someone to disturb their happiness. You see, that's why some people today are resistant to receive Christ. Because they don't want Jesus Christ to disturb their happiness. They don't want Jesus to disturb their, you know, their lifestyle. They just want Jesus to save them when they have problem. See, there is that group of Christians today. They call themselves Christians because they don't want to go to hell. Alright? When they have problem, that's when they need Jesus. But when everything is well in their lives, they just go on as normal. Waiting for some calamities, tragedies to come. Then they would call on Jesus. Are you in that group? I hope not. Our coming here this morning shows that you are not. Amen? Your coming, your presence here this morning, you're waking up early this morning, even though you, you had a, a very long party last night. Your presence here this morning shows that you don't belong to this group. Because you want to honor the king. And then there's the third. Alright, so the indignant King Herod and those who are really angry about Christ, the infidel, the unbelieving, see? These, these people are not necessarily evil people, they are just unbelieving. Agnostics, they don't care. But then there are the indifferent. This is the third group of people, the indifferent. And by the way, the indifferent, you might be surprised because these are the religious people. Notice this, when he had called, so King Herod, when he realized from the Magi that, that a king is going to be born, he called all together, look at this, the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. These are the cream of the crop. These are the scholars of the time. Those who knew the scriptures, the prophecy. He asked them where this Christ was to be born. And you know what? They knew. They even answered Herod, Chicken, you want to know where the Messiah is going to be born? Micah 5.2. Go to Micah 5.2. It says there, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Friends, these are the religious of the days. They know everything. They know all the facts. They know their scripture well. But then, that's all. They simply told Herod, in Bethlehem, you go there. But after that period, nothing. They don't go there. 
They don't even bother to investigate if this is true. That's all. They simply give them information. Friends, there are Christians today who are very good with biblical information. You ask them and they can quote a verse. They can easily find the right verse. But those knowledge never affected their lives. That's the third group of people, the indifferent. They know about Jesus, they know about the story, but does nothing about it. See? So they told Herod, this is where the Messiah is going to be born. See? In Bethlehem. But then after that, go back to business. Go back to whatever they're doing. Do you belong to this group? The indifferent. You see, it's so sad that some people, you know, when, when God blessed them with good health, with good business, good work, see, sometimes, listen, sometimes the blessing becomes the curse. So be careful what you ask for. Be careful if you pray, Lord, can I become rich next year? Can I have so much money next year, Lord? So that I can feed the poor. Oh. So that I can contribute to the building construction. So that I can contribute to the missions and evangelism of the church. Be careful what you ask for. Because the very blessings will become the curse themselves. Because a lot of these Christians, they were good Christians before. A lot of these scholars, this this teachers of the law, they were, they started good, but then, you know, at the time, when you become scholars, when you become chief of the priests, you know, there was so much politics and corruption within, within the religious system, they become rich. Remember? Remember their theology during the time? The Pharisees, they were literally fat. Because for them, they have this theology, if you're fat, you have so many food to eat. Therefore, you're blessed. That's all. That's their theology. Very simple. Health is wealth. Prosperity gospel. That's, that's the religion of the Pharisees. Alright? So for them, they know all about, about the Bible. They know about this. But it never affected their lives. Brethren, don't become like them. See, when God blesses us, let us not be indifferent. Know where you came from. Know where you are going. Even Christ himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he was born in a humble manger. He remained humble towards death. Don't be indifferent. So there you have it. There were, while, while the manger drew wise men, some people were disturbed. So what is your reaction about the baby in the manger? I want you to think. Confronted with the story of Christmas year after year, brethren, what is your reaction? Are you like Herod? You see? 
Are you like Herod? Some some people are like Herod. They're disturbed with Christmas. Not because they don't believe in Jesus. Because Christmas brings so much expenses. Ang mga inanak. Diba? So I'm sure sa uban na to, ato nang gipalong atong cellphone kagabi ino. Kaya suddenly, maabot na dayon. Hi, Ninang! Merry Christmas, Ninong! And then, yung tubag ka, who you? Sorry, this is a new number. Alright? Some people are disturbed with all the activities, with all the finances, the, the cost of Christmas. And it's true, it's stressful. But praise God, we are here this morning because we know our priority. Amen? It's Jesus Christ. Worshipping Him. Now we come to the third and the most important thing. The manger not only drew wise men, the manger not only disturbed some people, but the manger disguised the Son of God. The manger disguised the Son of God. And here's the most important truth. The child in the manger is no less than the Son of God. And as such, listen, we must worship Him. The presence of the Magi not only tells us about the authority, about, you know, the glory of this king, but the presence of the wise men and their worship to this king tells us that this is not just a king, but he is God himself. Amen? That's the most important. That's the miracle of the manger, that the baby born there wasn't just a baby. He is God himself. That's the most important thing, that God became man. Notice verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So it could be in the house or some, you know, church fathers would say, still they were in the manger. No problem with that, whether he's in the house or in the manger. It never changes the fact that their coming there was not the manger, but was for the child. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And friends, this is no ordinary joy. This is from the NIV. Now, the more literal, the more literal sense of this verse is in the ESV or the King James Version. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed exceedingly with great joy. Can you imagine that? A grammarian, you know, an English teacher would say there's so much redundancy there. But that's how Matthew wants us to capture. Matthew wants us to capture their emotions. They were what? Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Four words to describe their joy. Four words. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy. That's in the literal Greek, by the way. See? So they were not threatened by this king. 
They were not disturbed by this king. Oh no. They even left their comfort so that they could see this king and not just see this king so that they could actually honor him and give him the reverence that he deserved. Brethren, that's what Christmas is all about. Giving Jesus Christ the reverence, the worship that he deserves. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and notice this. They bowed down and worshipped Him. Some people who don't believe Jesus is God, they say, well, what the Magi did was just a normal, you know, an official, a casual thing you do to some dignitaries. You see, when you go to a dignitary, you know, you always bow down and worship. The Greek word there, by the way, is proskuneo. And here's something that we need to understand. In the New Testament, proskuneo is always used, always used to revere a deity, not a human being. That's not the Greek word used when people would bow down and honor a human. Because that's what some people say, this Churches who claim to be Christians, yet they don't believe Jesus is God. That's what they say. Oh no, the wise man, they were just bowing down because he was a king. No, there's a different Greek word for that. The word proskuneo is exclusively used when people bow down and revere a deity, not humanity. So clearly, Matthew tells us that these wise men were there not just to honor and to acknowledge another king of the world, but they were acknowledging the God of this world. That's why we say these wise men definitely are disciples following the teachings of Daniel because it was Daniel who also prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, the Ancient of Days. Are you following, brethren? Jesus is no ordinary man. He is not just a savior of the world. He is not just a prophet, as some people will say, just a prophet. Or as some religion, Christian religion will say, he's a God, but he's a small God. I don't know with you, but the Jesus that is taught in my Bible is not a small God. He is God. Amen? And because he is God, we have to worship him. And that's what Christmas is all about, worshiping the God who became flesh. And brethren, God is looking. God is hunting the rest of the world to find people who worship that way. That's why in John 4, 23, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. I hope that God will find that worshiper, that kind of a worshiper in you and in me this Christmas and throughout our lives. I hope that this Christ Christmas message today will change the way we look at Jesus. So that whenever we mention the name Jesus, it trembles us. Because that name is powerful. Amen? That name saves. 
that name can heal. That name can change your destiny from hell to heaven because there is no other name given by heaven by which you and I can be saved. It is through the name Jesus. That's why we have to worship Him the way this Magi worship Him. Then they opened their treasures and presented Him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. Now notice this, brethren. They presented gifts. They say, true worship involves giving. True worship involves giving. You can never worship without giving. See? I'm not talking here of money because a lot of us, when we talk about giving, we always equate it to money. You can give your time. That's worship. Coming here. You can give your talents. You know, you sing in the choir. You you remember why is it that it's it's so smooth to worship with us here because we have so many volunteers look at the volunteers they're standing there some of them are are waiting downstairs in the parking lot to make sure that we will have a convenient way of worshiping God see that's still worship giving giving of your time giving of your talents, giving of your treasure. And here, we find that the Magi were opening their treasures. Of course, they gave their time. Why? They don't have, you know, bullet train during the time. <laughs> they don't have airplanes. They were just on camels and horses. And if, if you want, if you're so into details, how many miles it is from Persia to Israel? By the way, Persia, what, where is Persia? Now give us some idea, Pastor Maki. Persia is now Iran, that area there. Everything, when you say from the east, okay, during that time, it's a historical, uh, it's like a historical, I don't know what's the word, landmark. When you say he's coming from the east, it means all the nations on the east side of the Tigris and Euphrates River. That's the east. So if you look up your world map now, the, the, the Tigris and Euphrates, it, it, it really cuts through, you know, the Middle East. Everything there. What's, what's the other side of the east? Most of that place now, if you look at your map, it's all Iran. And then there's Pakistan here and all the other nations ending with Stan. All right? Sakstan. No? Rambutan, All right? And by the way, do you know, okay, do you know, why, why do we call them Sakstan, Pakistan, why? Anybody knows? Trivia. Anybody here? It means land of. All right? Or literally it means the land where you stand. All right? They're standing. So that's, that's why it's, Af you know, Afghanistan, those places. That's the East. So, how many days did they travel, friends, before they gave their treasure, they gave their time? So, please don't complain when you're having a hard time going to church, taking a parking. Don't complain. 
these magi left the comfort of their homes. And if we follow the tradition, it, what season are we now? In the Middle East, it's winter. The climate is harsh. But they beat all the odds. Why? Because they want to worship this king. It's like, it's like they, it's their pilgrimage. We now can die because we have seen the man who's going to save us. See? Now look at their gifts. They presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, of myrrh. Friends, this is what I told you. That these guys, they were not just, you know, astrologers, astronomers, philosophers. They were really studying the scripture because they knew what to give him. Now don't understand that these gifts were gifts, you know, for needy, like it's an insult. You have to understand this. It is an insult to give a royalty something that will, that will look like he or she needs it. These gifts were not meant to be assistance. Like, if you give this to a king, it will be an insult. So, the gold, the incense, the myrrh, they were not given so that, you know, Jesus can use them as a king. No. That's not the way to give a gift. It's not the same way as we give gifts to us right now. Like, for example, today when we give a gift, we ask, What's that you kinanglano ni Pastor Maki, no? Padungog-dungog. Okay, example lang. Diba? You want to give gift, diba? Kanang magamit yun niya ba? Diba? Diba? Muragwa na na siya bullpen. Palitan na to bullpen. Okay? Now, example lang na. Kamu ba? Okay? So, when they were planning their gift to him, wala sa gano'n na nga, what's that kaginlano ni Jesus, no? You see, it's an insult. So, we have to understand, these gifts were not meant as an assistance, as if he needs one. Remember, the book of Acts tells us, he is a God who is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. It would be an insult if Jesus received gold, incense, and myrrh as if he needed them. These were not need-based gifts. Are you following? The gifts given by the wise men speak of what they believe about him. See? These are theological gifts, prophetic gifts. These are gifts to show who, what kind of a person this royalty is. Amen? And so you know the meaning of the gifts. You know this. The gift of gold speaks of his what? Of his authority. See, he doesn't need gold as if he needs that to rule the world. He is the owner of the world. In fact, gold is just dust in his kingdom in heaven. But why gold? Because they know that this child is the royalty. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He was given frankincense. Why? What's the use of incense in the Old Testament? It's a material use for worship. It's a worship item. Because he's a deity. Okay? The gift of incense there symbolizes that they know that this child in the manger 
is just being disguised by this baby is indeed God Himself. And so we have to give Him a gift fit for a God. Old Testament priests would always burn incense to worship God. And then third, the myrrh. It speaks of His humility. See? His humility. His death. That He is not just God, but He became a man for the purpose of dying. See, some people would be insulted. If some people would give you a deodorant on Christmas, no why is he giving me the odorant? Well, some people say, isn't that an insult to Jesus? They are giving him this perfume to embalm? Because that's what Mary is for embalming. Again, it's not meant for Jesus to use. It is something, it speaks of who He is. It tells us that this baby in the manger will die for our sins. And so, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, it speaks of who He is. That He is God, He is our King, and He is the Savior of the world. And brethren, I'd like to use John Piper's explanation about their worship. When we give gifts to God, it's not that we are bribing God. Some of us would say, Lord, I'm going to give you money so that you will give me money. Lord, I will give you time so that you would give me more time for my business. See? That's the wrong way to worship God. I love what John Piper said about worship. The joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich with the things from you. I have not come to you for your things, but for yourself. Isn't that the way the Magi were worshiping? Lord, we're not giving you this gold, this incense, this mirror, because we want them. You can give this back to us. But we give this because these are expressions of who you are. Amen? What is the expression? When you give gifts, is that an expression of your God? And this desire are now intensified and demonstrated by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not things. See, that's worship. When we offer and give to God, our desire is not that things will go back to us, but that God becomes more in us. That's Christmas. Having more of Jesus in our lives. Desiring Him more. So that as we give more of our gifts, we say, me enough to tell you, Lord, that you deserve. You don't need this. I need this. But the real sense of worship, it's not that I need these things for me. I need you, Lord, more than these things. Brethren, let me leave with you three applications. Knowing about this miracle of the manger. Number one, it should make us wonder at Jesus. Isn't it? Just like the wise men. I mean, can you imagine? Maybe they traveled for two months or three months. And then finally, after two months of, of you know, harsh weather condition, 
Now, finally, they're there. And I can just imagine, wow, the wonder and awe. And notice how they were described. Rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Brethren, that's our application this morning. If, if you understand the passage, I believe that's what the Bible tells us this morning. That God wants us to recapture the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. That He is God. He's powerful. He's, he's adored by angels in heaven. Even demons tremble at Him. Do you tremble at Him? Wonder at Jesus. Second, I believe our passage today teaches us to want Jesus more in our life. Not what Jesus can give, but to want Him. See? I believe that's what the wise men were after. They want Him more than what He could do to them. Yes, God can do. Jesus can save us. Jesus can bring healing to us. Jesus can bring back fortunes that have been lost. But I believe Christmas should tell us we need to want Him more, not what He can do. And third, and absolutely, third application, this passage tells us to worship Him. That's the only way we can react to a Jesus that we know, to this Jesus, King of the Jews, King of the world. Worship Him. Just giving Him the worship, adoration, just making Him. By the way, when you say worship, what is the meaning of that? It comes from the old Greek, not Greek, but English word, worthyship. It means giving Him worth in our life. You say, what's the meaning of worth, Pastor? You know what's worth? It's, it's the weight of something. The cost. When we worship Jesus, it means He's very costly for us. He waits so much that we can willingly offer our time, talents, and treasures. Let this message transform the way we look at Jesus, and we worship Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for Christmas that you have given us your one and only Son. Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, the King of kings, the Son of God, one day all nations will come and bow down before you and worship you. Though the manger veiled your glory, but it cannot stop wise men from worshiping you as God. Therefore, whatever opposition I may find, I joyfully ascribe authority, dignity, glory, and majesty and bring my gifts to you. Not just to want them back, but that we want more of you, Lord. Not just this Christmas season, but throughout all our borrowed lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>